You have tuned in to Twuk Season 2, Episode 3. Today, I am interviewing Sochi about their experience as a sex worker and transitioning into being a business owner. Their business, Seven Dream Ceremony, focuses on ancestral remedies, including body oil, ceremonial pipe blends, bath teas, and incense. Their products are organic and soy-free and handmade in small batches. You can follow them on Instagram at 7 Ceremony. Before we get started with this episode, I just want to give a content warning that there are uh, stories about sexual assault and mentions of abortion in this episode. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Sochi. How are you? I am so good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on your podcast and to support you and to reach out to others. And hopefully my journey will speak to them. Yeah, definitely. I'm kind of wondering like what your journey was like uh, becoming a sex worker, maybe like some about what you were doing before, um, what your transition into doing that was like. Yeah, okay. So, um, I moved to Baltimore when I was 21 or 22, and I moved here out of kind of a uh, traumatic experience with family um, and parents, and I had to retreat here. Um, I wasn't living far, but (laughs) I did. Yeah. I did move to to the city. Anyway, so when I came here, I uh, was working many jobs, uh, mostly barista positions, and um, as a lot of people know, those can be very demeaning, and I put in the hours. I actually really uh, enjoyed it for the most part, but I think that it was just exhaustive, and um, a lot of my body couldn't take the exhaustion because of other traumas I was undergoing at the time. Long story short, I uh, met someone, um, fell in love, got into a relationship very quickly, and this person um, was incredibly toxic and abusive and really scary and uh, was much older than I was as well. So, um, yeah, I think because of past trauma, my boundaries were already very loosened and, if anything, non-existent. Um, and so allowing others to uh, take advantage of me or take advantage of my naivete, te, naivete, fancy <laughs> word, I have to say it fancy, naivete, <laughs> naivete. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was uh, stressed, I got into a lot of harmful substances and was abusing them, um, and that was kind of my first intro into sex work. I began camming with the shittiest laptop known to man. Um, I was on Chatterbait for a long time. Um, yeah, I had a, a flimsy little $5 lamp, probably, mm-hmm. um, that was given to me by a friend in the sex work community. Uh, and I started from there. And wow, just talking about it, it, it brings me back to such a hellhole. But that was my intro into um, sex work. Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, unfortunately, it's really familiar and it's not always true. I don't, you know, like the idea of, of there being some um, narrative that every single sex worker is traumatized because it's not true. Some sex workers are actually 
super privileged, (laughs) Um, which has its own issues. You know, Um, I I wouldn't be ever a person to gatekeep the industry and say that you like have to be traumatized to come in here. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I think some people like being as privileged and untraumatized as they are coming into the industry sort of balances out what's going on. Um, And in a scenario where a lot of sex workers are working together, like a strip club, for example, And I think we're all coming from different backgrounds um, in terms of, you know, where we're physically from, but also, like, what we've been through. So, um, you know, all that to just say that, like, it's very, very common for sex workers to come from a traumatized background, but it's it's definitely not always the case. Um, but I think that, you know, sex work itself can be very traumatizing, and mm-hmm. that's why it's, like, a simple seamless transition because Mm -hmm. it's like it's what's familiar exactly so yeah yeah I I completely agree I don't think that it's um for everyone to say oh well you have trauma for me uh it was sexual trauma at a younger age and um other forms of abuse um that I went when I was younger that I went through when Mm -hmm. I was younger and yeah, I think, be, yeah, because of those loose boundaries, I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know um, what parts of my body were sacred, which is all of it. I didn't know how to treat my body like a temple. And uh, yeah, so so after I was camming, which was going on and off for a few years, um, I was selling used underwear on Instagram and selling <laughs> socks, which is such an industry. There's it's really surprisingly so fast. <laughs> There's a lot there. A whole profession. It's as straightforward as it sounds. Yeah. Um, and that seemed like a really easy avenue. Uh, at the time, I was dealing with a lot of different body pains. I was, um, I guess pregnancy abortion warning or whatever but that's a big uh, a, a big point in my journey and in my story but during the time of, of selling um, used clothes I was um, I was going through a really really ugly abortion and so I think my psyche had just broken I was definitely going through a really um, a brokening stage a blackening a nigredo is what they're called mm-hmm. uh when you go through this blackening of um just darkness and you're really uh turning to that black goo like a, a caterpillar does you know before they bloom into a butterfly and i was moving oh, I through that. that yeah it was <laughs> i was metamorphosizing hard but mm-hmm. at such a young age um and i think that my psyche really broke down because of it and after I was selling clothes, I, I went into dancing. So I think at this point, I must have been, you know, 23, 24. I'm not too sure. I, I think I started younger, but <laughs> it's all a blur. It's all a blur. We're all like, I've been dancing for, <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know. A hundred years. A hundred years. Something at least. like that, at least. <laughs> yeah, so I started at, um, that was my first club here in the city, and again, I think because I, as a baby stripper, you go into it with uh, such a different view. And I think that there's so, um, so much glamour <laughs> and a lot of 
um, misconceptions about the club um, mm-hmm. before you enter it, which is obvious. I think that's literally any field you work in. There are different uh, perspectives from the outside looking in. And then once you actually are in that field and you're working it, um, yeah, there, <laughs> there's a lot to it. Um, but yeah. yeah. Th- I feel like there's there's so much more to it than you realize before like getting into it. And that's why... I think so many sex workers find it annoying when people who have no experience in the industry DM us on Instagram or even come up to it. I've had people like straight up come up to me in person, like while I'm out on a Friday night trying to enjoy myself being like, you know, I've been thinking for so long about becoming a stripper and like, how do you do it? And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, first of all, I know it looks really fun and stuff like that online, but, and it is, there, there is a fun aspect to it, but like, it's not for everyone. Mm-mm. And also like, I mean, and, and it's not that I don't want to, uh, give people tips or something like that. I actually love to like educate people and answer questions or whatever, but you can't really tell, you can't prepare someone. No. For what we experience in the club. No, that's such a good point. Um, <laughs> like, what am I going to say? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, uh, yeah. honestly, like a dude could do some wild shit. Yeah. <laughs> that you're not prepared for. Which it. has totally happened. I think that's a common story for mm-hmm. a lot of dancers that, you know, you've been groped. You've had fingers in you. You've all of these things without permission, consent, awareness. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I've had the same experience where people will come up to me and be like, oh, can you teach me about camming? I've really wanted to get into sex work. It sounds like I can reclaim parts of myself. And I I think that's because I have a very helpful nature. I have a very kind nature. Mm -hmm. And I am very open to people asking questions. At the same time, I think there's a level of awareness and compassion and uh, conscientious that you need to have before approaching people in or out of the field. Yeah. Um, because it can come off as really insensitive when my experience, again, was survival-based. <clears throat> I needed money for food. I needed money for shelter. I needed money for warm clothes. And, uh, yeah, I started in the in the fall or winter, so I was mm-hmm. just in a panic of wanting to survive, and the avenue seemed very um, accessible to me. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, and I'm very, <laughs> I'm willing to help people, but it, it should yeah. be out of mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, me too. I've never been like rude to someone who has asked me a question like this before, but it's just, it's, it's what I'm going through like internally. Like I'm like, ah, it's kind of weird. Like it's Friday night. I'm trying to have fun. Like, <laughs> and work is kind of traumatizing a lot of the time and it's not really what I'm trying to think about right now, yes. but I want to help you and I don't want you to go in blind, but also mm-hmm. there's just so much that's going to happen that I can't prepare you for. Right. And, and for me, like I, I'm the same way. Like I went into sex work, like right after being traumatized, I didn't have time to like ask anybody mm-hmm. what it was like. I actually like tried to ask some people, but they, um, didn't get back to me mm-hmm. in time because I was literally going to the club five hours later because mm-hmm. it was like that. Like I was like, I need, need money right now. now. Yeah. I, and I applied to a club and the manager called me and I was there. Yep that night um the only thing I will say is like I think a lot of sex workers follow um pretty boy girl on Instagram such an awesome person um 
they were doing a takeover on like Lest, Lesty. I'm not sure how to pronounce that Instagram, but it's like a magazine um, and also like an Instagram account that different artists and um, creative people do uh, takeovers on. And Pretty Boy Girl was doing a takeover and literally was like, if anybody has any questions about stripping, my DMs are open and like like for free and I was like damn like this is an opportunity so I was like oh my god what's it like and like um I learned that you know they had danced in in Baltimore specifically before so they actually were able to like tell me um what clubs they liked and yeah and that was super helpful so like you know thank thank goodness for like the sex workers who who are generous and, and and are willing to share and like teach people without experience in the industry but it's like I complete com- completely understand the other side of it and you know um people who don't want to provide mm-hmm. that information or just can't because it would be like too traumatizing for them to just that's so true yeah I can't write your story for you and unfortunately mm-hmm. Because there was a lot of um, molestation and sexual, again, abuse on my end. That is... Like while you were in the club? Before and before during. Before and after. Yeah. Yeah, or um, during. But before, that's, you know, that that's a big part of what led me into that line of work. And when people ask, how is it? How do I get into it? I think that question, I guess I shouldn't take offense to it because I understand yeah, it. Yeah, but it's like, I just was like traumatized and this was familiar. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just got into it because of that. It's not like... I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult for me to write the reasons why into your own reality. I'm, I'm not the maker of your reality. You are. Yeah. And so it's hard for me. I don't want to say I wrote trauma into my reality, but I do believe that darkness attracts darkness. And, yeah. Um, when misery loves company and you're already at the lowest point, uh, it's, it's, it is very easy for energy vampires or, you know, whatever they're called these days, archons, darkness to kind of seep into your life, um, when your will is just so weakened. So I, I will say that, um, I am here to help, but just be mindful that again, no one can write your story for you. And when you ask, how do I get into it? For me, that feels like you're excited to get into it. And again, um, like you were saying, there is a fun aspect to it. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it felt very dreamy, very luxurious, oh, very yeah. spotlight. <laughs> and and that's a part of what drove me to continue doing it um, mm-hmm. because it was one of the only aspects of it that kind of brought me comfort was, oh, I feel good about myself now. I, yeah. I'm getting exercise at work. <laughs> I look fit. I am getting fit. My... My heart is well. It became healthier because I was drinking. Yeah, way it's too like you look much. fit because you're like exercising enough and doing like just the right amount of drugs yeah. to like not be like <laughs> right. so hungry all the time. Exactly. Even though you're yeah. exercising enough to be literally starving. Yeah. So some of it was an illusion. It was. Yeah. It was. Il- it's an illusion. Illusory. Sure. Is that a word? It was. It, it was like I a like fake it, fun. Whether it's a word or not. <laughs> I'm making words up today, but. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So a scholar. But yeah, so while I was dancing, I, I can definitely touch on, you know, the traumas that that went down there. I think, if anything, this is like a great platform to discuss that. Because again, so too. going into it, so many people believe that this industry is filled with glamour, luxury, spotlight, attention. Um, and while that can be the case, I think that it's so misdirected. 
um, when, when we learn about it. So when I was at, uh, at the club, I worked at a few here in, in the city. Um, I remember one of the you know first nights of me working, I was going into to do a lap dance. And um, because I was new, I really didn't know <laughs> what you weren't and were supposed to do. Right. Um, and this guy completely took advantage of me and was trying to make out with me. And mm-hmm. I didn't know. I was like, well... I don't want to lose this job already. Right. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want the guards to think I'm this or that. And Mm -hmm. so you you really play along with the abuse. You really play along. And again, that that weekend, I'll speak for myself and not for everyone, but that weekend, my boundaries even further. So if this is my first experience at the club, and I'm sure it's very parallel to others' first experiences at their clubs. I mean, yeah, I can relate. Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. So being taken advantage of, being being groped, mm-hmm. um, having fingers in and out of places, grabbing my breasts, my titties. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And you're in a flight or fright. What is it? Flight or fight. Flight or fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was frightened also. <laughs> also very but frightened. <laughs> <laughs> but my immediate reaction was just to stand still and take it. And yeah. I didn't have the time to process it. It feels like it's your job. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, I guess is this what I signed up for? And I think that's when that's when it kind of hit me where I was like, okay, this is what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And that's not at all what clubs should be. That should no. not be the fucking standard for clubs. No. And that's what we're fighting for. Um, yeah, that's what I have to say on the first experience. I can yeah. keep going, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah. I, if you want to keep going, you have more to say. Please, please do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was the first Whatever experience. Whatever you feel comfortable there. with, though, you know. Oh, thank you. You don't have to share uh, anything <laughs> that you don't want to share. I will share every single. <laughs> or no. share everything. <laughs> no, no, no. There's too much to share here. Yeah. I think overall, more times than not, I was truly taken advantage of physically at the club. Mm-hmm. And I want I wanted to talk on this um, because it transitioned into being taken advantage of by staff as well. Oh, yeah. And, um, yeah, so as Zephyr knows and other friends and community members know, um, while working at one of the clubs here, and, again, I am even just, like, too scared to talk about it and to name the club and to name the person still, which really sucks. We can always bleep it out. That's you true. Know, even if you do on accident, because I. Oh, yeah. thank you. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. This was maybe my third year in third. Yeah, I want to say third year in to dancing. Uh. And so I was somewhat familiar. I was getting good at the pole. I was. I was. You were pretty good. Killing thank it. you. I was <laughs> killing it. I can say that. Yeah, I was killing. It. I was doing really good. Uh. And again. <clears throat> You know, bringing it back to my first experience, I was talking about the opinions of staff and and the security there and managers and the boss and blah, blah, blah. I thought that I really had to, you know, appease them and abide by whatever rules they have. Not necessarily the law, not ethics, but their personalized, fucked up, twisted, dark rules. Mm -hmm. Um, So while I was dancing, I remember slowly being groomed by uh the dj at one of the clubs and um it started off as you know very friendly very kind very like oh can i go get you something oh 
um, you know, how's your night going? Just kindness, right? And when you're in yeah. the club surrounded by men who completely, you know, for the most part, in my experience, <laughs> disrespect you and your body and your time and your space and your money, um, it was kind of, you know, it's like the crumb of emotional um, availability that men give you that you're like, oh, please more. I will take <laughs> yeah. more crumbs. And so, of course, I'm sitting here being like, wow, the staff is so kind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing about him. I mm-hmm. really thought he was so nice. Yep. Until I didn't. Until I didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it started out again, very kind, very amicable. And I remember one night he was at the DJ booth and my back was turned to him mm-hmm. and he straight up just started. I don't know even if this is like too graphic, but no, it's never too graphic. Okay. This word. Is, well, I, I, I mark these pon- podcasts for as, having explicit yeah. content. So this is okay. not for children. No. Um, yes. It's not okay. For children. Go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was turned around. Um, cause I was just standing there and I was talking to another friend and he comes up and he just starts eating out my asshole. What? Mm-hmm. Like in yeah. the DJ booth? Yeah. Because you know how that there's like a little door there and it overlooks the stage mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm standing here and he's behind me. And he straight up just goes in and pulls my bottoms to the side and starts eating me out. And oh I've never felt more nauseous in my whole life. Yeah. Um, like what do you do? <laughs> what the fuck do you do? What are you supposed to do? There's... Again, you're in this moment of, do I freeze? Do I yell at him? I can't yell at him because I'll get in trouble. If I get in trouble, I'll lose my job. They'll accuse me of escorting and doing full service in the club. They'll pretend they have a live video of me, and they'll kick me out. There there are just so many consequences to doing the thing that's most healthy, Um, and and that's, you know, it's built into their system to make it that way. Uh, Yeah, so when that happened... I froze again. I laughed it off. I swiped him away as a mother would swipe away a little boy trying to get into some cake. And that's exactly what the dynamic felt like. I was so confused as to what to do and what our relationship now was. Um, It was disgusting. It it really fucked with my head. And after that, um, a few days later, I was in the dressing room getting ready to leave. Mm -hmm. And he picked me up and took me to the laundry room and proceeded to have sex with me. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I should do. Again, I, I just went along with it. I was so fucking scared. No one else was in the dressing room or laundry room. I was leaving early that night because I had made what I wanted to make. And I was like, hey, I got to go. I put my shoes on the table. It happened in like less than a minute. And I went back to my stuff, freaking out. Um, and my shoes were stolen, <laughs> which is one of the worst parts. <laughs> my shoes got stolen. Yeah. There was a shoe thief. There was there. a shoe thief. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I know who it was, but. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> not naming any names. No, we're not here to name names. Yeah. Um, he will get yours. I Shout out that. to her. Shout out to you. Hope you're doing or a guy, actually. Guys Hope your like, shoe collection is a bomb. <laughs> probably smells all kinds of ways. Hey, and you love it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that was that was the beginning of I think his in his mind, this okay, I can continue doing this with this person. Yeah. Um, at this point I had I had hung out with him after work and a couple of other 
uh, dancers and like some of the security were there and we were just smoking, hanging out, whatever. And I think that also gave him, I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. I'm not going to sit here and get into his head and justify or explain it away. I'm that kind of person that needs logic to help rationalize the trauma. He wasn't but thinking logically. He wasn't thinking logically. He was logically. thinking about himself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He was, yeah. He's a twisted, fucked up person. Yeah. Um, anyway, so after that incident, I think a, a night or a couple nights later, um, I was at work again, and mm-hmm. I was up in the dressing room. wasn't leaving yet, but I was just up there. And again, he he, he had this thing because I'm very short. I'm like four eleven. Yeah, <laughs> very tiny. Um, and he just he had this thing about picking me up. Mm-hmm. literally picking me up which happened all the time in high school and in middle school oh, it happened my whole life and again I felt so powerless I felt defeated I felt as if I couldn't say anything or do anything because if I did I would be in the wrong I believed that so strongly and um, to this day I'm healing through that um, when it comes to family and, and also workplace abuse but yeah. he picked me up and he took me to a different laundry room this time and put me on the washer machine and started to undress me. And the whole time I was just saying no, like, no, 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 no. And initially I was kind of giggling because again, if you look scared, then it's, it, it's fucked up, but it creates a more dangerous situation for the survivor. And so I was saying no, and then it became more serious and I was exclaiming no. And I saw one of the security walk past the door, crack the door open, look at us. I said, hey, keep the door open. And he closed the door and walked away. And I I think that's that was the point where I was like, okay, I need to stop. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And um, I put my clothes back on. His clothes were already off. And ugh, I feel so yucky just talking about it. I feel a lot of guilt and shame still. Um, I think I have a lot of internalized shame and judgment towards myself that comes from parental figures in my head being like, well, you asked for it. You did it. You're the one that went into the industry. You brought this upon yourself. You made your bed. You didn't deserve that. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. And um, it's taking me years of different forms of healing to remind myself that I was doing my best. I was surviving. And in that moment, it wasn't my fault what he did. It was his disgusting, twisted, monstrous actions. Yes. That should be held accountable for. And um, I, yeah, so so after that, um, the next day, you and I actually drove mm-hmm. to work together. And we were, Zephyr and I were in an Uber on our way to work. And on the way, I was kind of giggling, telling you this story, being like, ha ha he did this weird thing like has he ever done that to you I don't remember I don't actually remember our full conversation yeah but um yeah but but I was telling you that and you're like bro he fucking raped you like that's what rape is that's Mm -hmm. literally molestation Well, I I remembered like you know him being inappropriate towards you before I remembered him being inappropriate towards all of us Mm -hmm. like he was inappropriate towards me he was any dancer you could ask at that club yep um he was probably inappropriate towards some were reluctant to admit it because they were trying to survive in that environment mm-hmm. and they didn't want to admit it to anybody, including themselves. But he was 
he was being inappropriate with everybody. Um, so when you told me that, it was like, that that's not okay. Like, yeah. he can't do that. Like, and I remembered, like, when you were telling me what night it was, too, I remembered how much both you and I had been drinking, and mm-hmm. I was like, I don't feel I was at a consensual level. No. And you're smaller than me, so... <laughs> and I'm already pretty small. Yeah. But, like, alcohol uh, affects us, like, a lot as, like, mm-hmm. small people, and I think, like, growing men, larger taller men like that they know that they know that smaller Mm -hmm. women are easier to take advantage of not only by our stature but by the fact that the alcohol has probably really Mm -hmm. affected us um but I also remembered like really shortly before that like he had literally like taken a picture oh yeah of you while we were in the dressing room like we were just in the dressing room like literally taking off our clothes from the night and putting on our regular clothes, and he just was standing behind mm-hmm. us, which at that point we had just normalized like him coming into the dressing room trying yeah. to pretend that he was chilling so yeah. that he could actually be creepy. Yeah. But he literally like took a picture. And, and I told him. I yeah. saw him do it and I told and him you were I was like, like, what no. the fuck? And Delete that shit. Yeah, and he was mad and yep. also tried to deny it and all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, and of of course, like nothing was done to him. We we told no. managers nothing was done. Oh, I would love to get into that as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> well we told managers. Um, yeah. We told managers also about, um, you know, this incident that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you were telling me in the Uber on the way to work. We didn't deal with it that night. We went to work as we have to do a lot as sex workers. We mm-hmm. just have to swallow whatever bullshit just happened to us mm-hmm. and pretend it didn't happen and just work anyway. And not even work, but smile, yeah, fake smile. a giggle, put on a persona <laughs> that's like, oh, It's I'm so fine. normal for us to laugh when something horrible is yeah. happening to us. I joke about it all the time. Yeah. Like, I'll literally be like, oh, my God, yeah, anytime a guy, like, tries to put his finger in my pussy when I'm on stage, I just go, ha don't do that, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's you so have funny. to treat them, I'm sorry, like a little boy. Yeah, because the security's not doing their job. I no. mean, when security walked past the laundry room and you asked to keep the door open, he said, no, I'm going to protect my boy instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so many people were ready to... Um, so many people in there are ready to protect their boy, even even other even other uh, sex workers, other strippers who are working yeah. in there. Um, so yeah, I mean that shift was like hard. Like it was it was unclear of like whether we should bring it up to management or not. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like we should because somebody who does something like that should be accountable, but also like is is management going to listen to us? Are we going to get fired Yeah. if we bring it up? Like, are they just going to blame us? Like, what's going to happen? And I don't know. I don't know um, what was going through your head at that time, but that was some of the stuff that I was thinking. Um, I was scared. Yeah. Yeah, it was fucking terrifying. And the fright is built into the way they control us. Yeah. Like other systems in the world, but I think particularly strip clubs, because you're dealing with sex and sex magic and such a sacred, powerful energy, you know, it can go either way in a really powerful direction. You can go the light way or the dark way, and it can have huge consequences. But the way they took it was in a really dark and twisted way. And uh, I remember bringing it up to other dancers who helped me out. um, And... 
I I organized maybe twenty yeah, other dancers or some a lot shit of, more. A lot of dancers. And I don't re- I don't really remember fully how it began, but I think I brought I can it. I tell you. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't mean to take over what no, you're saying. No, it's helpful. I just, it's no, really there's helpful probably some gaps. I blacked out a lot of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's probably some gaps in your memory, and I can totally relate to that. But because um, it wasn't my experience, but rather something that I was um, a part of on the side, like as yeah. your friend, like I do remember. Um, so basically, like um, we got a bunch of dancers together um to talk about this there was a plan on what day we would go in there and we would essentially like with the managers with the managers we were speaking with the managers that we talked to them yes um I actually recorded it on my phone yeah I recorded this whole thing because I was like this is about to be some shit yeah like I'm I don't know what's gonna happen I don't know if there's gonna be a lawsuit I don't know if they're gonna try to say no we didn't say that yeah but whatever the case like I'm gonna record it and I was like looking through my voice memos like last month pretty recently and I was like what's this and I like started playing it and I was like oh my god I wanted to listen to it um I wanted to listen to it because I was like you know uh some of it I, I I had kind of blocked out too um and I I didn't want to be reminded like for entertainment or something like that, but I just, I don't know, something in me just like wanted to listen to it. I was like, how did they react again? Like, I know it was shitty, but I just, how shitty was it? And it was, it was horrible. Like they just essentially were like gaslighting us the whole time, trying to talk over us. Several times I heard dancers in the background be like, she's speaking, she's talking, you can't talk over her or someone just repeatedly saying, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, please let me speak. Um, and a, a lot of dancers were speaking up that, you know, you weren't the only one who had had this experience with the DJ. He uh, apparently had pinned uh, other dancers up against the wall in the elevator. You can't get out of a working elevator Mm -hmm. until you're on the floor that you're going to. And even worse than that, it was under the guise of him escorting you to your car or escorting you you somewhere for safety. Safety. And yet making making dancers feel unsafe. He had even made uh, dancers feel trapped when they were getting into their vehicles. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there was... it doesn't matter how many women were saying that this man behaved in this way. Um, it, it, only one could have said it, and 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 they should be believed. That was enough. That's yeah. enough. Yeah. But several people were saying that this man had been horrible, had violated their consent, had made them feel unsafe when he's in a role that he's supposed to be making us feel safe. Mm-hmm. When the managers and the security staff are also in roles that they're supposed to be making us feel safe, and yet none of these men were responding to this in a way that made us feel safe. We all felt on edge. We all felt unsafe. You could tell by the recording that our voices were literally shaking because we were all terrified, um, because we were all being reminded of the fact that we were in an environment where we were still unsafe. And And powerless. And powerless. And a lot of us grew up in environments where we felt unsafe and powerless. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing was super triggering um, for a lot of dancers. And not to mention, I mean, there were plenty of dancers who didn't 
come to this this meeting. In fact, dancers who refused. Mm-hmm. We get out of this meeting, and I go into the dressing room, and I have a dancer come up to me who was like, so uh, w- what's up with the shit with the DJ? What's up with that shit? Yeah. And I was like, it, I felt like threatened. Like same. they were coming up to me oh, in a same. threatening way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, I was like, uh, I was like, well, um, you know, he was being really inappropriate and we just needed to have a conversation with management about it. And they were like, well, he would never do anything like that. And to I was me, like, right. yeah, I was yeah. like, well, um, he did. And I think it's actually kind of obvious that he would do something like that, considering that he touches on all of us every right. shift. And exactly. I was like, you know, I get that you're friends with him. I get that you weren't a part of it. That's cool. You know, you don't have to be a part of this. And I was like, but we are. And, you know, I'm, I don't know what to I don't know what to tell you. Like. Yeah. <laughs> After that meeting, oh god, what a hellish meeting. Well, first off, I will add because one of the parts that infuriates me the most about this whole situation is that we were in communication with one of the main managers that was mm-hmm. there most of the time. I've, yeah. I forgot his pathetic ass name. But I don't know, like John or something. Sure, <laughs> Charlie or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> It was something basic. Yeah. What did Uh, he do? So we were texting him before I was trying to set this meeting up with everybody. Um, I was saying, hey, I have all of these girls that Mm -hmm. want to talk to you. Um, And I only say girls because we identify as that. Yeah, I keep saying girls and women too, but there are queer dancers and trans dancers. Yeah, but we're at the club (laughs) and that's what we look like. That's what we're supposed to look like to men. Anyway, (laughs) I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was saying, hey, I have about 20 plus girls here that want to meet with you, that want to say things to you about this one person in particular. Mm-hmm. Firstly, it was a huge fight to begin with to to get a meeting with this manager yeah. because it was just my case. I yeah. had to seem threatening for him to want to meet with us. He said, hey, I hear you. That's disgusting. Blah, blah, blah. I still have the screenshots of mm-hmm. our messages too. And it's funny because about a month or two ago, I was reading through them and just started bawling my eyes out. Ugh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, they're deleted now. Yeah, it's it, it's so gross. And so we get there. We're all waiting there for management to show up. No one shows up. There's no managers. Nope. And the <laughs> manager that um, was supposed to show up because he said, yeah, me and the others will be there. He's not even there. He's not even fucking there. So we go mm-hmm. into this secret little room behind the cigar lounge <laughs> to talk with them. That room was so sketchy. So like the fact- it's like soundproof and stinky. I'm like, what are y'all doing back here? Right. No, some some shady stuff goes down. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we so we all meet and uh, the manager is there mm-hmm. instead of the one that I was speaking to. Oh yeah. yeah. He wasn't one of the owners. He was like the GM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to speak to an owner. <laughs> I want to speak with someone with power right. and authority. And so we were talking and I think that's one of the things that frustrated me the most. Cause as soon as I saw <laughs> walk out, I knew that it was going to be a shit show and I'm so grateful that you recorded it. Um, I'm so grateful and have so much appreciation and love for the people that showed up, not just for me. I yeah. know that initially because I spoke up, they're like, fuck yeah, we'll back you up, but also for them. So many of people that you know are still friends with me to this day showed up for me uh, because there are just horrific practices that go on in the club that are not only 
legal and allowed but are encouraged and promoted because mm-hmm. it perpetuates this ideology of fear and it perpetuates this um, this idea that that we don't have power and it, mm-hmm. it makes it easier for them to profit off of our our fear. Yeah. So yeah. So but after they're scared of us. Absolutely, we're <laughs> the ones that make the money. And I said that. <laughs> Just terrified. Yes. Well, yeah. He was shaking. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we our our voices were all shaking in the recording because yeah. we were we were triggered. We were upset, but his voice was shaking in like absolute fear. You and messed with stupidity. God. You messed like, with the power of sex workers. You messed with pure magic and goodness. You're you're gonna get it in the end. Yeah. yeah. It literally like, and he just kept saying like really dumb shit like I get that I get that but (laughs) but I was like okay if you get it then like get this this rapist out of here right get him out of here he's raping people he's sexually assaulting people he's you know he knew about that picture that was taken in the dressing room yeah the only thing they did was put signs up in the dressing room (gasps) that now staff aren't allowed in the dressing room. Right. And they did that to protect their asses. Just also just like they kept saying to us, you need to talk to the lawyers. Here's the lawyer's number. You need to talk to the lawyers. I'm like, way to treat us. Like we don't matter. That's exactly what someone says when they don't give a fuck about someone here. You can talk to my lawyer about that. So it's so funny (laughs) because he said there are, um, uh, what is like signs in the dressing room in tiny fucking print about, hey, are you being sexually assaulted? Are you hurt? So there are tiny little print messages in the dressing room with their lawyer's number on it. And he was like, well, you're not supposed to come to us us if you're raped. You're supposed to speak to our lawyer, and the number is posted everywhere. Your lawyer is biased. Your lawyer wants to protect you. You're the one who pays him. Right. Your lawyer's not going to fuck you over. Oh, it was the most (laughs) insulting part of the whole thing speak to our lawyers. Yeah. And I said, okay, I will. You have a lawsuit on your hands now. And that freaked him the hell out. He said, well, no, 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 no. We can work this out. You know, the other part of this was this blackmail that they pretended to have on me because before the meeting even began, he said, I need to speak to you. I said, no. Oh yeah. I remember remember that. that? Yes. That's in the recording too. At the very beginning, it was like, I want to speak to her. And I'm like, like, I don't know. It's a bunch of dancers. Like, no, uh -uh, you're speaking to all of us. You're speaking to us. You're speaking to us. He was like, no, no, no. We need to talk. Yeah. We need to talk. And I kept saying, and he kept being like breach of contract, breach of contract. Like da, 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 da. I straight up called him out on it. I said, you are going to take me to your office by myself, threaten me, Show me some video that's blurry and say that I was doing full service. This is what you've done to other dancers in the past, literally in the past months that I've been here. I've seen it happen. You threaten, you lie, and you scare dancers into not working anymore. I don't know why he thought that was going to work. I'm like, you're going to literally come. He came in there pointing at you. He came in there with the most disgusting, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take this person down energy. I was like, you really think that's going to work when you have 20 other dancers standing in here? You think that we're just going to be like, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Sorry, Sochi. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Guess you got to go talk to him by yourself in the soundproof room. I'm like... That's not happening. The stupidity. Like what? Ugh. How did he think that was going to work? Exactly. He could have at least like tried to like manipulatively make it happen, but he just came in there like He was with, scared. He yeah. was ready to fight. Yeah. And he was mad because he because he was saying that you were saying bad things about the club publicly and that that was a breach of contract oh, and it's right. like and and it's like 
first of all, like the things that you had said, you did say some things on the internet, but you deleted them. And the things that you said were in response to being raped. Yeah, and they were all traumatized. True. And I it named was all out true. the rapist. I named out the DJ. I named out the club. I named out the managers. Exactly. Like, was, that's I feel like their it. concern shouldn't be like you said something on your and your Instagram was small. Like, you yeah. delete your Instagrams and make new ones all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have thousands of followers. Like, yeah. it was literally like a few people had mm-hmm. seen that. Mm-hmm. And they're like breach of contract as it's, and they knew that was not going to have any effect on their club. They just wanted to deflect because they wanted to keep their little DJ, not have to fire anybody. It's a lot easier for them to just get rid of a dancer. Yes. And they wanted to go the easy way out instead of do anything to protect you. And that was so obvious from the get go. And I don't know. I just, I, that is the most let down that I've ever felt mm-hmm. in the industry. And I've been let down by the industry countless times. But that mm-hmm. was just like so eye opening. I was yeah. like, man, they like, I already knew that they didn't have our backs. Like, yeah. we basically sign our rights away when we sign our contracts, which is so hilarious because these guys are idiots. Their fucking lawyers are idiots. Half of what the contracts say you can't even uphold in court. No. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. No. It's insane. And part of the contract reads that you are putting yourself in a dangerous situation. <laughs> so part of it is literally like you are liable to sexual harassment on your end. Yeah. Like a part of it is if you flirt too much with the customers, you might get assaulted. It's literally and in the that's contract. your fault, and that's on you. That's on you, not on these <laughs> grown ass adult humans that are clientele. No, it's on it's on you. It's on you. You should have said no. <laughs> that's no stop. No, please. And don't. then security, like meanwhile, is not doing their job. They're just standing there as like decoration. Um, so that the club can cover their asses, so that they can be like, oh well. I mean, we had security in place. Exactly. Like, okay, well, your security didn't do anything. And I still pay them at the end of the night to keep me safe. We're paying the club so that we can use their facilities. Mm -hmm. So their facilities should be clean. They should be safe. And they should have security in place doing their jobs. Yeah. Because that's what we're paying the club for. I know a lot of people are familiar with Pretty Boy Girl. I think that if you're familiar with them, you're also familiar with Stripper Strike No Ho mm-hmm. and um, I think it's Northern Hollywood. Is yeah, I that think that's where, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's in California, yeah. LA area. So there's um, this person, this dancer with other dancers who organized a strike outside of the club that they were working at because I'm sure they were facing parallel and similar experiences to mm-hmm. us they were they basically yeah. like um dancers uh were feeling like security wasn't doing their job which i'm telling you i have not been to a single club <laughs> where security has done their job no ever Fucking never ever stripper strike no ho is like um you know basically like fighting for their safety as well because no clubs in America or probably in the world really stand up for dancers at all. Security sits there, doesn't do their job. And so basically like a dancer like voiced their concerns to management saying, you know, I don't feel safe here. Security's not doing their job. And they basically said, well, uh, you could either shut up or leave. Yeah. 
And I'm actually shocked by the solidarity. Um, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about like other strippers or anything like that. But normally, a lot of strippers are just in the club trying to survive. And that's valid. Um, but because of that, not a lot of strippers are going to like stand up and strike. Yeah. Or and have there's a, no judgment on that. Because no judgment it's on terrifying that. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. But I, I was surprised yeah. that so many dancers at this club mm-hmm. um, stood up. And they've been striking for every m- day for months. For months. They've made it, um, you know, in the L.A. Times, like huge news outlets yeah. are like covering this. They have they have allies outside of the club every yeah. night. They have a um, whiteboard where they tally up um, oh, yeah. how many customers went inside <laughs> and how many customers stayed outside and striked with them yeah. after they tried to enter the club because basically they tell everyone who tries to enter the club, what hey, um, this club's not keeping us safe. They don't give a fuck about us. Like, do you still want to go in? And some assholes will be still going. They're like, yeah. no, we don't give a shit about your safety. Yeah. Um, but I was also surprised by that, surprised by the fact that almost every time I see that tally, more people stayed outside of the club. Mm-hmm. And somehow this club is like, we still don't care about you. You're nothing to us. It's like it's wild. The amount of denial and <laughs> just, like you said, deflection. It's like, well, we still have a building and we still have a couple of dancers inside. Y'all are, uh, it's, it's how, wild. How clubs me. treat their dancers is everything. Yeah. And that's why I would love to see a dancer-owned club. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of some clubs that have been owned or managed by dancers or ex-dancers before mm-hmm. and that it's not been a good situation. You really can't help the fact that like some people are going to be greedy. Like yeah. not everybody's great. So I say a dancer-owned club, but like a, a club Co-op. collectively owned by dancers, yeah. not just one dancer being like, this is all mine. Yeah. You know? I would love I'm to like, see I'm like, you're it. acting no different. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see like it be like completely revolutionized. I would love to see our safety taken into account. And frankly, I think that if clubs were to give a shit more about their dancers, their profits would be higher. Yeah. I'm like, it would benefit Absolutely. everyone. Absolutely. You, you have a clean club. Wow, more people are going to come. Yes. Less slummy, slimy people are going to show up because your club isn't disgusting. It hasn't people with money are going to want to show up. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes sense. And I, I mean, me and other um, dancers and people that are in and out of the industry have talked about this. You and I have talked about this, having a co-op, mm-hmm. seeing a stripper co-op club. That just makes sense to me. Where there's a daycare and a garden. And yes, <laughs> child care. Just, I just wish dancers were put first. We, we could teach the babies how to count money yes, in daycare. Yes, there you go. Everybody needs to know how to count money. <laughs> this is what they're not Budgeting. teaching children. Budgeting. Hello. Oh my God, that's actually so true. But... <laughs> Yeah, going back to what I was saying about stripper no-ho and um, just, yeah, like you said, the solidarity that was seen there is unlike any I've ever seen because after that meeting at Hustler, I was immediately attacked by dancers, not physically, but a bunch would come up to me and be like, what's up with this person? You know you're lying, right? (laughs) Which I've been told before. I was molested at a young age and I wasn't believed Mm. um, by by a family member. I wasn't believed by my family member. Yeah. And that that was a disgusting time that I'm still healing from. I'm that sure. I'm still uh that this family member is, is still in denial of and it's completely ripped my heart apart. 
Um, And so, of course, this was triggering. Of course, this brought me back to a time where I couldn't stand up for myself. Even when I tried to tell the truth, it still was not believed, which is why a lot of survivors do not come out in the first place with their truth, because the fear of not being believed is so much worse than just holding on to that pain. And that Mm -hmm. pain eats you alive. That shit will eat you to the core. And so after that meeting, yeah, I had dancers come up and deny the situation, say, oh, he would never do that to me. Like you were saying, yeah. he would never do that in general. He's my friend. And I said, okay, but I'm not the only one it was happening to. It was happening to others. And they're yeah. all behind me right now. And all I got was an eye roll. And that's it. Just the denial is wild to me. And I don't live in denial anymore. So it's hard to be empathetic towards that viewpoint of, no, it didn't happen. No, it's not true. Just no, turning my eyes from the truth. I felt so bad because it got to a point where like, you know, and you're at the club so that you can survive, so that you can pay your bills. And it got to a point where like you didn't feel safe to come to work anymore. Yeah. Because you couldn't come to work without some some other uh, dancer being like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. Like, bro, what's your problem? Yeah. Like why, like, I don't know. I didn't understand why so many of these dancers were... Like, I can understand why they wouldn't want to get involved with it. Cool. Get it. Yeah. Totally get it. You're Mm -hmm. trying to survive. You don't want to be triggered or something. Like, that makes sense. But I'm like, you're literally, like, going to bat for this guy. Yeah. You're literally ready to come fight someone over this guy. Like, so I know that you're not doing this to protect your peace. Because going to bat for a DJ that rapes and sexually assaults other dancers is not protecting your peace. Yep. So, you know... What is this? What is this about? (sighs) Yeah, so that was a really dirty time because for weeks after that, I had a close friend. And I'm not going to list any of these names, obviously. Yeah, (laughs) and I can bleep stuff out. Oh, if it, yeah. (laughs) But one of of the friends that I do have, um, they were telling me, well, you should. You should take him to court. You should take the club to court. I'm sure you would get so much money. And... Mm -hmm. I am a very spiritual person. I most certainly believe in a more metaphysical spirit realm than I do in a physical realm, and I always have. And it was so hard for me to, I guess, agree or see eye to eye with a judicial system that (laughs) (laughs) has no one, no, no, um, has no, what what is it saying? No benefit. No, what am I trying to say? They don't give a shit about y'all. They don't give a shit. No. (laughs) Yeah. So if I were to fight it, I know for a fact that someone richer, which is the manager... You would lose. I'm sorry, but you would lose, and I'm not saying that to invalidate your situation. No, it would just not go my way. Maybe that's just my opinion, but, like, I'm... I'm it's not going to sure go anywhere, lose. right? <laughs> and we all know why, because his first response was, go talk to our lawyers. Exactly. Meaning he's played this dance before. He's mm-hmm. done this routine before. He knows that his lawyers can get him out of any situation even when it's so fucked up. I've seen lawyers have people get away with murder. Literally. We've, <laughs> we've seen it televised. <laughs> right. <laughs> it happens. Again, this judicial system, the system that this country is based on. Innocent until proven guilty or right. innocent unless you're really, really rich. Then, <laughs> right. Um, you're good. Innocent because you have money. <laughs> And that's it. And and they do have money. They have our money. Yeah, they have plenty of money. Yeah. Uh, so I was, you know, battling with the decision of should I do something that feels responsible to some people or should I do something that feels healthy and, and safe for me? Because I was so scared of 
him saying, well, you do full service and you're doing this and you're doing drugs. And even, you know, true or not, he's made up so much shit about other dancers in the past and he can just show a blurry video to some lawyer and be like, look, look, she totally it's wants doing it. it. I'm like, that's, that's not me. What? Right. It like would be a video of like him and like humping <laughs> a, a stuffed wig. animal. <laughs> yeah. In a wig. He's like, hi, <laughs> it's me, a dancer. <laughs> yeah, yes. literally. It would be like the stupidest video and then the, oh it God. would be not even be real. Yes. And the, the judge would be like, yeah, well, Sorry. Looks Sorry. like he wanted it. Also, like, pretty much, like, um, American law has made it so that people who do drugs don't have rights. Yep. If you do drugs, like, you don't, or like, it doesn't service. uphold in court. It, yeah, or yeah. if you're a sex worker, if, if you're a full-service sex worker, mm-hmm. you aren't a person anymore. Yeah. You don't have human rights you're anymore. You don't understand. humanity. <laughs> Literally, if you leave the country... And there's evidence that you're a sex worker, whether you did it outside of the country or not, or there's evidence that you've done drugs, Mm -hmm. I think in the past year or something like that, like they could just detain you. Detain you. At the border. Just because. Just because. Just because. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, it was definitely a lesson and it was definitely uh, one of the few darkest periods that I've had to experience in my in my reality. Um, yeah. I obviously didn't go through with suing the club or suing the DJ. Yeah. I couldn't handle it. I was already a mess and I was also terrified and I also don't believe in systems mm-hmm. period. So it just did, it just went against my moral ethical code, which I have one and I know that they don't and I don't play on the same playing field as they do. No. That's, that's their own dark field <laughs> and I'm not there. I am above it, and a lot of other dancers are too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that that definitely summarizes years of uh, sex work experience. I went back to camming for a few years after Mm -hmm. that. I tried dancing again for a little bit at a different club, and again, that just was too much on my body. I think my body held way too many memories, and I I didn't want to go back. And, um yeah, so so I stopped dancing. I think I was dancing in total for maybe five years, mm. five-ish years, I think. And yeah. Yeah, but camming went well. I really enjoyed doing it. I was on strip chat for a while and my free cams, um, and I really miss it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually miss camming a lot, too. I was yeah. kind of thinking about doing it again because the club is just, I don't know. It's a yeah. whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I could go on and on. But yeah, camming's camming's fun. I it like is. it. Yeah. We've done it a few times together. It was we have. sweet. <laughs> I was thinking the <laughs> other day wholesome. about when we when we had <laughs> when we did um some camming and the um what was that like boot? <laughs> I don't know, I heard it too. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um I was thinking about the time that we were camming in the kitchen and I like wasn't sure if I could crack open an egg with one hand, (laughs) but I was talking a really big game about it. I was like, guys, I'm like a professional at cracking eggs, like get ready for this. And I was in my head, I was like, I don't actually like, I've never tried this before. (laughs) It's kind of like the time that I told you that I could like DJ. DJ. (laughs) And then you were like, well... Miss Zephyr, <laughs> sorry, I don't remember my name. <laughs> Whatever. Um, you were like, 
well, why don't you just DJ this event? Because, you yeah. know, you don't you're you know how to DJ. And I was like, what are you talking about? And you were like, you told me you were a DJ. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was just talking about, like, like in my head. Like my like, dreams. Like in my dreams. Like in my imagination. I'm a really good DJ. I'm like, I can't afford the equipment. Like, yeah. I spent it on, like, makeup uh, and nails and drugs so that I could, I like, survive it. at work. So, like. Literally. Um, oh. Wait, what was I talking about? Oh. Uh, Oh, uh, camming in the oh, kitchen. Oh, yeah, camming. Yeah, but I did. I cracked open that egg oh, we have it on with video. one hand. We well, have it on video. No, I got it, a video on the phone, because oh, I was yeah. like, I have to, like, see this regardless if I, like, oh, actually God. do it. I want that memory, but if I don't, it's going to be funny. Yeah. But, I yeah, it was like... I miss camming. <laughs> Shout out to Strip Chat. I think that out of all the platform, and I've, yo, I've, I've cammed some videos. I've done it all for many, many years. Um... Strip chat really shows up and their customer service is bomb. Strip chat's cool, except for the fact that I got banned from strip chat because we were camming oh, yeah. together. They, it, they, they didn't upload the documents correctly. It was kind of a glitch on there. Yeah, end, I don't know. They fucked up down. and I tried to tell them and they were like, well, I don't know. You have to upload it again. So yeah, we no, both had like, to that's a lot of work. Start a whole <laughs> so new <I> profile. <laughs> that's, yeah, I've done that before. Um, but I think... I think camming was really healing for me. I think I was able to transition very slowly out of sex work by, and I'm not saying that camming isn't sex work, but it's definitely less physically tolling. Yeah, you and, can like um, literally lay in a bed. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. masturbate. Like, yeah. Which is cool. Yes, and it's still work, and you still have to yes. invest time and energy and labor Money. into scheduling and the toys you buy and the setup and all these different things. But all in all, you're not being touched, you're not being raped, you're not being groped, you're not being disrespected, you're not being not listened to, you have power, you have autonomy, and um, I feel like I'm like a, uh, what do they call? They go door to door, they sell Bibles. Oh, um, a missionary? Yeah, I feel like I'm a missionary for cam camping <laughs> right now. Someone's like complaining to you about their job and you just put your hand on their shoulder hey, and you're like, you know what I have think you heard you of mean? camming? <laughs> <laughs> have you accepted camming into your life? <laughs> <laughs> have you accepted your Lord and Savior <laughs> webcam? <yeah>. Webcamming. <laughs> no, literally. It's it was a it was a lot of work, but I really enjoyed it. And um that overlapped with a different practice that I'll get into in like the later section of this, but okay. Um, but yeah, camming and selling used underwear and all that good stuff was something that I did for a while after stripping. Um, but yeah, that was my journey. Very shortened version of it. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that with us. Like it's it's really a gift, and it's. It's not easy stuff to share, especially on a public forum. Mm -hmm. It's very vulnerable, but it's also very powerful to share a story like that. And it's it's also very giving to share a story like that. And, um, you, you know, you're never required to share something like that. But to share that with the world is, is to educate the world. And mm -hmm. I think that anybody listening to this should be incredibly grateful for Sochi sharing that story with us. Mm. So Thanks for saying that. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that because it's taken me a really long time to talk about being molested as a kid and also about this experience. And I think a lot of the time survivors are forced to be quiet. I think a lot of the time that our silence is their protector. And so breaking that silence and being able to talk about it is 
is a big deal for me. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, it seems like people want to tell sur- survivors what to do. They want to tell survivors to stay silent or they want to tell you that you should take it to court. And I'm not saying anything about your friend because mm-hmm. I highly doubt your friend was telling you what you should do. Oh, Probably yeah. just, just in a loving way to trying help. to give yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah. I get you. But some people, like, I, you know, I've had my own experiences and, and I've come across some people that really are telling me this is what I should do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, there's plenty of valid ways to go through surviving something like that. It's valid to be vocal about it, but it's valid to be silent mm-hmm. about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going to be vocal about it, it's valid to do it in a public form like this. It, but it's also valid to just talk to your family about it, be it your your actual family or your chosen family, mm-hmm. or talk to your therapist about it or journal about it. There's so many different ways that uh, we could have outlets for you know the trauma that we've been through but to share it in a public forum is it's truly a gift to anybody uh listening Mm -hmm. so um I guess like my next question is um you know all that being said and like your experience uh being a sex worker like I remember you saying at the beginning that before going into sex work uh, you didn't really have any boundaries, that trauma um, and being like taken advantage of and touched without your consent. And these things were like very familiar to you. So entering into that environment, like in this kind of dark way, felt comfortable to you. Um, but having been in that environment for, you know, five years and um kind of getting to a point where you realize this isn't comfortable anymore. You got to a point where, in fact, you were, like, speaking out about it. What did that teach you about having boundaries? Uh, Or, if anything, did you feel that that was um, a lesson in any way as far as that goes? Yeah. That's a big question because I think that my answer has changed over the years. That's okay. What a boundary is, Mm -hmm. how to execute them, how to stand up for them with your voice and your, you know, your physical actions. Um, there were boundaries in different areas of my life. So there were boundaries with work, Mm -hmm. boundaries within, you know, interpersonal relationships, boundaries with friends. And it was hard to define them at each step. I think moving through that trauma has most certainly given me this outlook of because because while I was going through a lot of this darkness I wanted to kill myself and this was before um the stuff with the DJ this was way before that this was being in an incredibly dark and poisonous relationship um with someone that was dealing with their own trauma and darkness and I wanted to just die I was nowhere near wanting to be excited about living And so, again, I had to deal with a boundary of depression, a boundary of feeling and pain. Yeah. And I think now what my boundaries look like. So to answer your question, yes. Yes, working in the club after five years has taught me so much about boundaries. It's taught me about my worth and my self-worth and my value and uh, just how magical of a person I am and how limitless I am and how much control and power I have over creating my own reality and um how that was really robbed from me Mm -hmm. um but it wasn't fully stolen because I can still reclaim it and and build that up um 
yeah, I, I didn't have many boundaries in the club. I didn't know when to say no. I didn't know how yeah. to say no. And coming out of it, I think camming too helped a lot because I had to learn to not give in to every request. If someone yeah. wanted to private call with me or to do cam to cam and I was on my period and <laughs> didn't want to, yeah. you know, a, a past version of myself would say, yes, I have to. I'll just I have to have the money. I'll shove a tampon yeah. in there and I'll pretend it's not there and yeah. make it seem like it's not there. But, but now, you know, I'm learning that when you say no and you stand up for your boundaries, you actually are building more avenues to finance and you're building more avenues and opening more doors to freedom because you are limiting others to your own energy and as you should because it's yours. When you say no to others in a respectful, mindful way, you're opening doors for yourself. And I know I was scared in the past that if I said no to opportunities, I wouldn't have the money afterwards. And so that's what stopped me for the most part from saying no. The other yeah. thing that stopped me from saying no was, oh, is this person going to leave me? I have huge abandonment issues or, or did and, and have worked through them. And um, that fear stopped me from saying no because I didn't want people who claimed they were my family to leave my life. And now I say no to people who are not my family and do not have my best interest in mind and do not actually fully love or care for me or support me in, in ways that you know they should. Um, so that's what it taught me. It taught me different forms of boundaries, how to state them and the benefits of having them and just how liberating it is to say no. Yeah, I agree. I love, I love the word no. Mm -hmm. Um, recently a friend told me that their favorite word to say no was no. Mm -hmm. And I was like, tell me more about what you mean by that. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, I don't know, it's just so fun. Like someone's like, do you want to go to dinner with me? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Do you want to um, Do you want to go on a walk? No. Yeah. No. I'm still working no. on not needing an explanation because I still <laughs> me too. feel I, yeah. <laughs> need, I still feel the, feel the need to over-explain myself so mm -hmm. I don't hurt the person and please don't leave me, please don't be offended. But also I'm learning that it's not on me what the other person feels and that if it's I'm not, not it's giving a yeah if I'm not <laughs> saying no offensively then they yeah it's their journey to, to to shed ego around the word no exactly no means no and I find myself like writing super long text messages when I'm like flaking on someone or just yeah. saying no right off the bat when they're like you know just asking to hang out or yeah. just saying like no, I don't want to hang out today. And actually, I don't want to hang out at all. Yeah. And it's not that you're a bad person, but blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, wait, I don't need to say all this. Yeah, all I have no. to say is, no. Thanks for the Actually, invite. this isn't working <laughs> for me, but thank you. Yeah. I wish you well, mm -hmm. you know. And that should be enough. But it's really hard for those of us who have been through trauma to just straight up say no and we have mm -hmm. to learn how to do it and I feel like that's why it's it's even harder like when we're in the club to say no because no means that we're declining money mm -hmm. and it's like it's it feels like you don't have time to give an explanation yeah so it just makes it that much harder to say no but to it's it's so liberating to learn that like actually just saying no mm -hmm. is enough 
Yeah. You know? It really strengthens your voice. It does. And your throat and the way you say things later on. Yeah. I am glad that I learned it now. I definitely wish I learned it at a younger age. Yeah. Even growing up when I was, you know, really, really little. Um, Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess the other thing that I'm really interested in is um, talking about your business, Seven Dreams Ceremony. Um, I'm just interested in learning how you started it and why you started it and what it means to you um, in your current self, but also what it means to you uh, with your past self. Mm, That's a really good question. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Seven Dreams Ceremony is a practice where I work with plant alchemy, which means that I am using the power and medicinal properties and energetic properties of plants and working with them um, with the cycles of the luminaries and the moon phases and um, other celestial bodies uh, and making medicine from them. Um, It started out as me just working with plants as, as burning them to cleanse a room. And at, at the time, this was years ago when I was with this person I, I keep referencing and they were really moving through a hard time. And of course I didn't want to be in the relationship, but again, when you have such a thwarted view of family, mm-hmm. you have, you kind of feel like you need to stay because, or else you won't have a family anymore. So yeah. anyway, I was working with herbalism then, and I was learning um, how to work with plants in an indigenous way, because I come from Adine, Pueblo, uh, Chichimeca, Guachichil background. And so since my family and my roots are, you know, I guess the southwest, central Mexico um, regions, I wanted to find myself and I think before it wasn't even about finding myself it was more just how do I cure this person quickly how do I get answers fast how do I do this quickly it was always about the instant gratification yeah and (laughs) sex work does that to us oh (laughs) yeah for sure can I just like rub this magic lamp and will it work really quickly yeah (laughs) it it was definitely one of those things where I just wanted an instant answer because everything had fallen apart around me and inside of me and uh, so that's so that's where my introductions to herbalism began was a want and a need to heal someone who I did love and cared about very much. Um, I started working with milky oats. Um, a friend at the time made a tincture for uh, this person, and milky oats is meant to help with symptoms of withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, they are ancestrally used to mimic properties of opiates. Sorry. And uh, so we were trying to take this tincture for this person, or sorry, we were trying to make this tincture for this person in order to help them with that symptom. Mm -hmm. So from there, we went from milky oats to lemon balm to rose, and I just, this whole world opened up to me. And at the time, I was camming, so this was maybe... 
So I was camming and dancing at the same time. So this was a, uh, maybe my the first year into dancing, I want to say. Again, timelines are so fuzzy, but it mm-hmm. helps me sort out time in my head when I talk about it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so about my first year into, into dancing, that's when I also got into herbalism. Yeah. And when I say got into, again, I think it was this idea of, can I just take this <clears throat> herb and will it cure me very quickly? And, and yeah. that's not the case, obviously. It takes work, inner work, outer work. Uh, it eventually turned into something deeper and I began to learn more about myself through my roots, just reading books and researching what other people have been doing in, uh, if, if they're coming from the same, you know, villages as I was. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that way. And then after I was dancing, it was maybe a little bit after stuff with the DJ had gone down, I began really delving into it a lot more and I was working with lemon balm I was working with rose and those were uh plant friends who helped kind of widen this door for me I wanted to get in touch with my roots in order to heal myself I knew that I wanted to I just had no idea how at the time I was experiencing a lot of hallucinations not because of drugs but because of (laughs) meditations and and deeply guided lucid drugs or anything no 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 no. (laughs) me (laughs) no I I I think I had stopped doing drugs at that point Mm -hmm. I had stopped doing coke and I had stopped smoking weed even it's important to heal yeah Mm -hmm. I I needed I needed to stop for myself and obviously no judgment I just for me I needed to and Mm -hmm. once I did all of these messages and all of these visions and all of these voices and depictions of what I should be doing and where my path is and was came to me and uh, a lot of I I saw a lot of ancestors come to me in a lot of dreams and again visit me through um, visions and ancestral uh, meditations and they were telling me what to do they were telling me what I was here for Um, I had some there's some very crazy experiences I've had that were very otherworldly wow (laughs) Um, that's amazing they're powerful. Yeah, I think I was really saved, whether you call them angels or aliens or ancestors or whatever you want to call them. They, they really came out to support me. And um, a few years later, uh, still camming, not dancing anymore. Um, this puts me at maybe 26 years old. I began making uh, massage candles for friends that were infused with plants and um I did this so that way I could use the power of fire and and heat and the element of the sun energy in order to uh heal our bodies and a lot of the time when we deal with trauma we feel cold we feel frigid we feel alone there's kind of this cave metaphor that I feel a lot Mm -hmm. and when you're using um the energy of fire and sun and heat you're introducing light into that cave and it's a very slow nourishing comforting light and so the massage candles started out uh, with that purpose in mind uh, bringing this really warming soothing light to a very cold rigid hard traumatized body Um, along with massage candles I also began making ceremonial pipe blends that included plants from regions where my blood is from that were tended to with care. And these 
smoke blends were meant to introduce people to themselves in the dream realm. And uh, <laughs> that was so strange. It's weird that it glitched when I you said dream realm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. This stuff's real, y'all. It's real. So yes, a, a lot of uh, the smoke blends I was making w- were being crafted with the intent of dreaming and, and lucid living and becoming more aware and awake using, uh, you know, cleansing your pineal glands so that it mm-hmm. could help push um, blood flow to your third eye and that can push blood to the rest of your body, making you more awake and aware of the decisions that you make in order to create the reality you're living. Um the third item that I loved making were bath teas. And so I would, you know, a lot of this was wild, or not wild crafted, what's the word? I would go around the city and, and go to gardens and, and farms that I would work at and harvest from there. And I would make bath teas. And a lot of them were for finding sanctuary within yourself. I have a lot of water in my chart, and I find that I'm just so supported when I'm in a body of water so I take so many baths and (laughs) one of the things I love doing is is adding clays and and plants and herbs and flowers and salts and essential oils and oil different oils to my bath Uh, but I found that the herbs were getting everywhere and it was clogging the drain so (laughs) I don't think I came up with it but I just came up I don't know with this idea of oh I should just put it in a a huge a uh, bath tea or a, a tea bag. Of, That's um, so smart. A fabric tea bag. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Like you're literally steeping like it. Like you're a little, you're in the tea. Yeah. <sighs> you're in your own little tea brewing. And so I started making those. And at first it was just gifts for friends. And uh, eventually people were like, you need to sell this. You need to put a price tag on these. Yeah. And I have, I know we hate money and, you know, we talk yeah. about it all the time, but <laughs> but it is what it is. And I also believe that there can be a spiritual aspect to finances and the way that currency does flow. Because currency comes from currents and water and rivers and electricity and uh, different forms of magnetism that flow within each of us. And so if we view currency as, as that form, of electricity then you know you could reharness it and redirect its flow in, in a higher vibrating direction that isn't so uh capitalistic yeah which might i don't know might not make sense but but it does to me that makes a lot of sense yeah, to me. yeah. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> about anybody else yeah. but <laughs> well, it makes sense to us too so. i get it <laughs> so i began selling my my offerings uh, at a sliding scale, mm-hmm. um, and one of the one of the things that I offer are consultations. And a lot of the time, I um, have sex workers come to me and say, "Hey, I'm dealing with this. Can you help me with this?" And we have kind of an herbal plan for them, and we build a very customizable plan. Uh, and so I've built customized bath teas for people because when you're in the bath it feels like a baptism I believe that it is a baptism Mm -hmm. I believe that you are spiritually cleansing yourself and so before you go into a body of water you set your intention you set your prayers and you place you know this bath tea in and it purifies you it it detoxifies you it it pulls away any energetic parasite you know that's crawling around 
in you or out of you and um, it pulls them out. It, it's able to draw that out with a lot of kindness and, and love. So yeah, I, I started selling it um, and I still do. My business is Seven Dreams Ceremony and I have now refocused a lot of my energy on the dreaming elements and lucid dreaming elements of of my medicine and a lot of it is to reconnect to um to your roots again and the exciting thing about my my massage candles is that they are completely genital safe and so i so that they're called moon waxes and so the moon wax uh i will infuse the oils on a full moon and then many weeks later on a new moon, I will process them and turn them into massage candles. And they're very nourishing. They feel like body oil because they are. They do. They feel amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I really love them. I'm really proud of them. And, um, yeah. you know, the reason I wanted to make them genital safe is because so much of our trauma resides in our genitalia. So much of our trauma and darkness um, and uh, destruction, ideas of destruction and creation reside in our sacrum. And so I wanted to make a candle, uh, you know, infused with plants that, that would speak to that trauma and really call to them and gently pull them out if they're ready. And if they are not ready, then, then being able to bridge communications with that trauma and whether it's trauma in this lifetime or in a past or in a family a family member's trauma that that we are now reliving because because that shit really does carry on and so these candles are are really really special because they're able to bridge that conversation they're able to make a bridge um, with our ancestors so we can speak with them and be like hey what's up how can i help what do you need and um yeah there's a lot of kindness and intention that goes into my crafts and um yeah yeah but that's that's again, why I wanted to make them completely genital safe because one, heat is so grounding, but two, when you're applying these body oil lube candles. Kind of um, sexy, so. <laughs> it's hot. It's so sexy and you're reclaiming parts of your body that might yeah. have felt stolen from you. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, you know, going through sexual trauma at a really young age and then reliving that, you know, many years later, I I needed solace in my body and yeah. what helped that was um was dating myself again, falling in love with myself again, finding uh finding parts of myself that are mine because it's all me and I had to slowly do that and yeah, the candles helped because when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling triggered or when I'm feeling pulled back into those memories of darkness uh, the candles really, again, shed that light into that cave and are able to draw out that darkness from my body. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I can definitely attest to how amazing these candles are. I've seen them, like, since the very beginning. And, I mean, they were always great. They were always good, but they only continue to improve. And I can really attest to... Um, the integrity that Sochi has behind the work that they do. Um, it's so powerful and incredible and they're always open to growth. And I think that's so important 
for anything, like any sort of business. Um, but I, I really like that you hold that value and I really recommend to anybody listening to support <laughs> Seven Dreams Ceremony, um, not only because Sochi is such an awesome person, but also because these products are really powerful and there's a lot of intention behind them and they really do work. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really incredible. The massage candles, especially love those. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, the work that you've put into it is immeasurable. Um, I'm also really curious, uh, you changed the name of your business recently. It used to be called Sal Soul Body Works and you changed it to Seven Dreams Ceremony uh, and you just kind of mentioned like where the dreams sort of comes in the name. I'm curious where uh, the seven comes into the name. Yeah. Yeah, so Salut Sol uh, was the original name of my practice and uh, Salt and Sun is what it translates to, Salt and Sun Body Works. And the reason it was that name is because of spagyrics. And spagyrics is the uh, practice of plant alchemy. Um, and one of the products that you receive out of spagyrics is the salt. And, you know, the I also at a time was at a very um, time in my life where there was a lot of masculine energy in uh, in me, around me, and the sun holds a lot of that masculine um, property. It holds a lot of this king energy, lion energy. And I felt that I was coming into a more um, calming feminine side and kind of reclaiming that for myself when I changed the name. Uh, The number seven has followed me throughout my whole entire life. It's my life number. It's my soul path number. It's a number that has come to me in dreams and in visions. It's a number that just really sums up my whole life. And it's a, a number that's guided me and that will continue to guide me. And the dreams, again, yeah, to touch on that, again, the I have a very deep connection with my Maya or dream realm. Mm. And I'm able to, you know, again, be really aware in those spaces and um, I just want to introduce people to that magic. And I want to introduce people to being aware in those spaces because a lot of our healing is done in our dream space. And a lot of these conversations that we hold in our dream space uh, that might not make sense, they hold more clarity um, with with items like mine or, or, or others. And yeah, so, and the ceremony is is because we build ceremony um, with that process, we build ceremony in sleep, we build ceremony in rest, and I definitely have died, attended my own funeral, and have come back to life, and so I can, you know, say that a lot of that rebirth happened in my dream space, um, yeah, so seven dreams ceremony is, is kind of a testament to my growth and the darkness that I've experienced and the ceremony that I build with community, the plants around me that I grow and the friendships and relationships that I'm continuing to make. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're not afraid of change and that you change the name of your business with this boldness and with this, um, 
intention to like continue to grow and to honor your past growth as well I think that's like so cool um and it's not easy to change things because we find comfort in the way things have been Mm. and it's like I don't know you know what I mean yeah (laughs) there's a lot of familiarity and comfort in in cycles Mm-hmm. And my I have lots of Scorpio in my chart. I love breaking cycles. I love <laughs> the death and decay of of all things um, because it means that there's room for for growth. Again, when you say no or when you allow things to die, damn, things flow in so quickly for you. Yeah. And a lot of my practices to show you that is to help you grieve and to help you uh, move not move on, but move past and move through experiences that may have felt like they've held you back or Mm -hmm. um, holding you back currently. And yeah, so my practice is very much about growth. It's very much about asking really deep, dark questions to your shadow self. Uh, It's about ancestral work and vision work and altar work and lots of shadow and and deep self-reflection. I love that that you have that fluidity behind your practice. Um, Was uh, changing the name something that you were mulling over for a while, or was it like an epiphany, like you were like, I need to change it to this name? What was that like? It was something that I wanted to do for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sali Sol felt dead to me. It felt I was beating a dead horse, I guess (laughs) is the same. And I didn't, it just didn't feel alive to me anymore. And it didn't feel authentic or true to myself. I knew that I needed seven in there. And I knew that I, I, the word ceremony needed to be in there. And um, seven dreams just makes the most sense to me. It really just it came to me. My partner really helped me with it. And there's just a list of, of words. It was going to be seven blood ceremony, but <laughs> that felt <laughs> a little too dramatic we're gonna stab you (laughs) see what happens i'm gonna use your blood seven times (laughs) sacrifice i would have vibed with it it's really metal i'm sure some people would yeah yeah, it's cool hardcore blood play yeah but i'm sure like you know the the decision you ended up making is a great one and um is there anything else that uh, you have on your heart to say about sex work or about Seven Dream Ceremony? I will close uh, this conversation with by giving thanks, uh, by giving thanks to my ancestors and by giving thanks to Zephyr for hosting such a humble and giving and loving platform for sex workers and retired sex workers. I think it's really important for our words to be out there because there are so many dangerous misconceptions about the strip club and about camming and about full service that are so detrimental to growth of any kind for anybody. And I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Um, Yeah, I want to, again, give thanks to my family because even though we experience differences and traumas and um, pain there, the there's so much potential to heal from, and that's all I see. I'm very much a half-glass-full type of person. and um, Yeah, I, I invite people to follow me on Seven Dreams Ceremony, which is my Instagram name. I invite people to read the journal blogs that I post every so often on my blog, sevendreams.blog. 
And I encourage people to come out and see me when I vend. Um, I'm vending at Charm City Meadworks next Saturday. And What's I, that date? The date is the 26th from 12 to 5 at Charm City Meadworks. I will be there vending. And I will also be hosting a candle making class so you can make your own moon wax um, on December 18th, which will be at Our Time Kitchen here in the city. That's so cool. Yeah, they're also... I love that you're teaching people how to do it themselves. That's real. I'm so excited. Make Fisher's a fisherman, you know? Literally, yeah. (laughs) You know, a part of herbalism is making medicine and food sovereignty more accessible to people. And a part of my ancestral growth and a part of ancestral gardening and medicine making is reclaiming that and giving it back to the people and giving power back to the plants and to the land because a lot of the time, especially coming from strip clubs, you see how colonialism and capitalism have completely uh, put a shadow and such a darkness on, on most things that we see and touch. And so being able to go back to the land and, and reclaiming powers of growing and uh, reclaiming the power of medicine making in your own home with things that you already have um, is so exciting. And, and it's the future that I envision for myself and for others. So yeah, you can come out and build your own moon wax. I will have uh, oils. What's the date for that again? December 18th at okay. Our Time Kitchen. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at 7 Dream Ceremony. So you can read more about it. And um, I am also doing a class. I'm teaching, uh, I don't know the date on this, but this is early December. I will be co-hosting or co-teaching a a class on uh, mental health and herbal allies that kind of help with that, especially going into the winter time. I know it's really hard for myself and for others dealing with uh, family and dealing with maybe being away from family for intentional reasons. And there are many plants that assist in that. So we will be discussing hawthorn, tulsi, burdock root, and lemon balm as plant companions during that time, how to use them and how they interact with our molecular systems. Um, But yeah, check me out. That's awesome. Are you going to share on Instagram when you know uh, what the date is for that? You know what? It's on my Instagram. It is. Maybe (laughs) I should just check right now. I have my phone on me. Yeah, let's... My bad. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I forget I have access to technology. So... Only for the best. (laughs) uh, So the class is called Herbal Allies for Mental Health, Finding Solace for Winter. And it's going to be December 7th from 6.30 to 8.30. It'll be online. It's completely free. Um, I will be making little herbal bundles, so smoke cleansing and teas and other goodies um, for free if you want to pick them up. You're welcome to donate to us, um, but this is all for free, so it's accessible. And, yeah, again, that will be... December 7th, which is a Wednesday from 6.30 to 8.30. And you can go to my Instagram for all the details on that. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, That sounds like it's going to be really awesome. And I also just want to thank you for um, showing up today and talking with me today and also just... um, being so open and so vulnerable while we have this conversation, um, it's not easy, but it's, I think it's a lot of, um, important stuff that you said. And 
I'm just grateful that you showed up today in such a big way. Um, and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for Seven Dreams Ceremony and just grateful for your journey. And yeah. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. I love you too. Um, Very grateful. Yeah. Make sure to follow Sochi at Seven Dreams Ceremony on Instagram and support their work. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Twuck. You can find us on Instagram at Twuck Official or www.twuck.com. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash twuck. And our RSS is rss.com slash podcast slash twuck. Our ethos states that we are comprised of a collective of sex workers who believe in changing the culture of the industry for the betterment of the workers. Twuck values the safety, human rights, and success of sex workers and focuses on providing educational resources to make this possible. Twuck does not support the exploitation nor extortion of sex workers and therefore uses its funds to pay sex workers directly and does not profit as an entity. Twuck pays sex workers who are featured on our podcast and we pay sex workers who perform at our events or DJ at our events. Additionally, we do not charge a tabling fee for sex workers who vend at our events. We do need funding, so if you support our mission, you can cash app us at cash sign twuck official. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.